Here's the situation. You are writing for a fortune cookie company and you decide to quit your job and leave, but you want to leave behind several genuinely unnerving fortunes. What are three to five fortunes you leave as a parting gift on your last day walking out of the fortune cookie factory? I'll get into this in a while, but I've I've always had, I've I've had some thoughts on this. I've had some problems with fortune cookies for a long time. So I look look forward to getting into that. I'm TJ Jagodowski. I'm Rush Howell. And this is Here's the Situation, a real podcast about hypothetical situations. And this week's theme is Fortune the Belt Holes. Uh, Let me say that more like a human now. Fortune the Belt Holes off of For Whom the Bell Tolls. Love it. Okay. Fortune Fortune the Belt Holes. The Belt Holes, yes. And so I am I'm gonna get right into belt holes and I'm gonna embarrass you right off right off the right off the right off the jump here, Rush. Yeah, um because right. belt belt holes made me think of losing weight and having to poke a new hole in a belt. And people would not know this, but I'd like you to tell people right now, Rush, since the beginning of the year, how much weight have you lost? Uh I think 62 or 63 pounds. And and not only should I, I do I think you should be awful proud of that, but I also want to specify that Rush did it very healthily um, with a regular workout schedule, some changes in some changes in diet and stuff like that. It wasn't. Uh, <laughs> you did one of our previous bad diets. You <laughs> no, did. It was, you it did worked. it. It worked. I did the uh, O baby. You said, I could only have foods that started with an O or baby food. I thought it was the entirety of twenty twenty. So I thought it was the cream to fit in your jeans. Oh the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't do. I didn't do the cream to fit in your jeans diet. I'm not sure that one would have worked. So, uh, so thank you for letting me embarrass you, Rush. And I'm gonna try embarrass you further with this. Uh, with this. So here's the situation. Rush, I'm going to name a few fields you've been associated with, and I'd like you to simply tell me the moment of uh, the moment or singular event that you are most most proud of. Okay. Cool. In the um, in your academic career, Rush, what um, what moment or event are you most proud of in academics? Um, the thing I enjoyed most that I ever did. Uh, academically, I don't know if it really counts. To be honest, it will. Is I, I I co-wrote a play uh, for my thesis. So at Princeton, you have to do a thesis. Everybody has to do one, and uh, you know they're usually like uh, deep in the weeds of some academic mm-hmm. medium, real wonky, real for, wonky stuff. Yeah, for the most part, like no one would ever want to read anybody else's thesis, right? You know, and everybody, it's a it's a big for some, I'm sure it's a labor of love. For a lot, it's a labor of requirement. Uh, but I, I co-wrote with a, a guy named uh, Aaron Egner, um, who who I did improv comedy uh, with in in college, and we had like the smoothest like writing relationship. Like it was just very, uh, you know. And we spent a ton of time, and we wrote a play, and then we and then we produced it. My friend um, Katie Pickett directed it. Uh, I had like, uh, all these great, great friends of mine who were in it and we put it up at, uh, and, and I mean, I'm sure the play wasn't very good, you know, to be honest, but it was, at least we did that. And, and I, I'm sure Aaron's parts were good if he's he listens <laughs> and, and my ideas were the bad ones, but, uh, we ended up then, then putting that play on in Chicago as well at victory gardens theater. That's very cool. But, um, you know, so that's really maybe more of a creative endeavor than an academic endeavor, but it was, uh, I was proud it was of a it. Thesis. If, if that, it was a thesis. It was a thesis, dude. That counts. It was your thesis. It was a college thesis. Hey, let me ask you, um, cause I've, I've, I've asked other playwrights, um, this is like, how, how exciting was it for you to one, see words you had written delivered out loud and did you have that sense where like oh i thought th- those words were going to do this or i thought this was the meaning in there but then you see someone else's take on it or delivery on it and you d- did you have that experience of like wow i did not even i didn't see that being possible when just when these were just words on paper yeah 
both. So first, I loved it. I mean, it was a great experience, um, especially we had a very friendly audience, right? And and we were both like, I mean, the play was a drama, uh, but it but it had comedic uh, scenes throughout it, and and it was it's, it was it was a great uh, treat. I'm not gonna be like modest about it, right? It was it was, uh, and and again, I'm not saying it was good, but I, it was a great experience to listen to that stuff that you had done. I mean, the same way it was for you, I'm sure, uh, at second city where you like put all this time in and you write these scenes and then they work, you know? Um, and even, even when my scenes maybe wouldn't work there, just having like the laughter or at least from some people, right. Who would enjoyed it. That was great. And then it was equally great, if not more fun. And certainly the most fun part of the process was watching people do stuff that was different than what I expected and that I thought was better. There was times where I was like, okay, well, that's not how I would do it. But I, I, we tried and I'm sure failed. Uh, I'd have to ask Katie about it. I'm sure we were too, you know, invasive and controlling about like, hey, uh, you know, even more, I'm not the director. I do think huh. this, you know, I probably did some of that, <laughs> which I, I would regret that I did, but I'm sure I did. And, but watching people make, make choices that you don't expect is terrific. And, and I will say the one part of that play that really worked both at, at Princeton and then later was one of the main characters we wrote based on, it was, it was about kids in a juvenile detention center. And we had a friend of ours who worked in a juvenile detention center as part of her, her work while she was at Princeton and did all this like, uh, you know, um, philanthropic work in that, in that regard. And, uh, she got all these transcripts from interviews with these kids and we, we took like that, those transcripts and used them to, um, affect like the actual speech patterns and, and just some of the, some of the ways that, that this one character spoke and it just really, really worked. And I remember, um, Chris Durang, who, who I really like, he's a playwright sure. of some notoriety who writes comedies that I enjoyed. And he, he was like Aaron's thesis advisor, or I don't know, he, he was, no, he wasn't, because we had the same thesis advisor, Michael Cadden, who was just an awesome, awesome guy, uh, who, who led the Princeton Theater Department while I was there. Just can't say enough good things about him. But uh, Aaron had this class with Chris Durang, and Chris Durang let us come in there and read the first act of it, of the play. And which was awesome because Chris Durang was, I don't know if I call him like a hero of mine, but somebody I certainly respected and, and liked his plays. And you could just tell he didn't like the play. And he was very <laughs> like, he was very friendly about it. And, and the one part that he really liked was, was this one character, which was like helpful for me later in thinking about like truth and comedy and so forth. Like somehow we had tapped into, not somehow we had the, we had, <laughs> right, we, right. We, had we had studied the actual vocal mannerisms of these kids and we got these interviews and we talked to some kids and then we had them write some stuff down and we, and, and it, it, that just, you know, really worked and was an interesting like writing lesson that I took nowhere whatsoever. <laughs> I did nothing. I did nothing with that in my life, but that was a good lesson. So I think, anyway, sorry, that's a long, answer. no, it's perfect. That's it. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago you told us about, um, it was in the anniversary episode when we were talking with Beth about, I think your most proud achievement as a team in athletics when you guys pasted that that um, rival school, you guys placed the top five all all uh, all in. Would you say that's the most proud event or moment you were for your athletic career? Yeah, I mean, maybe that. I mean, we won the state championship um, when I was a freshman and a sophomore uh, running. Um, but I, I, I do think that was the race that was the most the most fun that I, that we ever had. I mean, the state winning the state was probably meant more to me at the time. But if if I when I remember back, I think about that race and just being like, oh shit! And then all of my own teammates <laughs> and we just ran as a pack and destroyed those guys in in a race that mattered to us. That was certainly the best we ever performed. Can you tell me, uh, are you able to tell us a little bit about the moment or event that you were most proud of in your legal uh, world? Yeah, um, I don't know that I, uh, there, there are a lot of them, 
of, of kind of roughly the same. I mean, there's just kind of nothing like when you get a verdict in your favor uh, in a in a trial, um, and they're all great. Like every time that happens, even if you thought you should win going in, it's just that's a very a very good moment. Um, I'm trying. So I don't know that. Kind of, I mean, I had this case that that we cannot possibly do justice to in, I mean, we could do a whole episode uh-huh. and talk about the stuff I'm allowed to talk about from it. That's the most interesting case that I've ever done, which is we represented an Indian tribe. Oh, right. That Indian, Indian tribe was, um, accused of participating in, uh, like a fraudulent payday lending scam. They did do, they did run a payday lending operation and the people who, um, there was this like race car driver guy named Scott Tucker, who was the one that did the like rent a tribe scam is what it was called. He's now in jail, but the stuff that happened on that case was insane, insane. And I mean, I could write a book about that for sure, but, um, you know, rewarding, I would say I've, I've had maybe like 10 or 11 trials. I've taken all the way to victory where we were, I was either the, the lead lawyer or the second lead lawyer on it. Um, and so I, I kind of, I hesitate to pick just, just any one of them. Um, but the, the, the winning trials, that's definitely it. How about in your time as a gambler? What are you, what moment or event are you most proud of? I, I may have mentioned this one before TJ, but my single favorite gambling moment was the culmination of the single greatest like gambling run. The Atlantic City I, I trip with, with roulette? We were in Atlantic yes. Yeah, okay. We were in Atlantic City and I got third place in a four hundred person or something poker tournament. So I'm already up like nine thousand dollars, you know. <laughs> oh, and, and and for me that's that I was a second year law student. That was like <laughs> that was spending money for the semester. <laughs> and in addition to that nine thousand or whatever it was, I won several thousand dollars playing like I just couldn't lose and and walking out on the last day I, I was just like boom $25 on a roulette number and hit and was just like <laughs> and that was with a buddy and, too right it was you and it was a with buddy my buddy Jamie yeah. Jamie had and uh and he was like hey let's throw one number down on roulette and he's like we're gonna do whatever and I was like Jamie uh we're not doing your number. We're doing my number. I can't lose this week. <laughs> Just trust me. We put it on there. Bang. Hit. Um, I have a lot of, uh, of, of great moments gambling. Have I told this story about my friend, Tim Knapp at, at the craps run that we had? Um, I don't, I feel like you might've told me, but I don't know if it, if that was in a, in a, you know, just a you and me conversation. So, so this, this is a story about like, one of the attributes that I love about, um, about, you know, gambling and, and in particular, just kind of my philosophy around there. I mean, my all time favorite people to gamble with have been you, uh, Andy St. Clair, Dave Hill. Um, there's probably a few others, but that I have so many fun memories with, with all of you, Dave Hill and I have, I, I swear we're up lifetime playing craps and we've played a lot, which is hard to be possible, but but anyway, we were, we were playing we we're playing craps at uh, at the Rivers Casino, and Tim Knapp and I we had just I believe we had just won a, a, a case, and we were celebrating that we had won, yeah it was a PAI RLP case, and and we uh, were we're out we're playing craps, and we got destroyed. I mean destroyed, uh-huh. and we we both were down a lot of money. I want to say like you know way more than either of us thought we would possibly lose that night. I mean maybe down like two grand each, uh-huh. and. Um, and, 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 you know, in craps, like the, the dice are moving around the table clockwise and they get to the person two to Tim's right. And so, and so, uh, I, and we both were basically out of money and that guy had a good role that got us like going a little bit. And then the guy next to him had a good role. I mean, at this point we're just like, please, you know, right. salvage Staunch 500 the bucks, bleeding, yeah. <laughs> 1500 each stop the bleeding for God's sake. And um, the guy to Tim's right has a phenomenal role, a phenomenal role. And I may remember this slightly incorrectly, but but whatever the case, either that guy finished and, and, and Tim was exactly back to even, or 
that guy finished and Tim was close and then Tim rolled and, and had a decent but not great roll but positive roll and got exactly back to even. Because I remember Tim looks down at his chips and he goes, oh, my God, I have exactly even. And he's like, that's a sign. I'm going to go cash out. And I was like, I'm about 400 down because we were just betting slightly different on a few things. So I said, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to roll. Um, and uh, and Tim went to get his uh, chips cashed. And it took him probably like 11, 11 <laughs> minutes or so to cash his chips. And when he comes back, I've been rolling the entire time. Now, for those that don't know anything about craps, like a good craps roll is probably if you can roll like eight minutes or so, you, you, you've had a, a good craps roll. A really good roll is 30 minutes. A legendary like once in a lifetime type roll is probably, you know, an hour plus. Right. And Tim comes back to the table, lines up next to me and sees that I'm I've this has gone well. I'm now I've gone from probably 400 down to 400 up and Tim being kind of my mindset, which is like too superstitious probably, but he, <laughs> he like slots in there and he makes the decision. I'm not going to put a bet down right. because rush is hot and he doesn't want to change the vibe or whatever. I proceed to roll for 58 minutes <laughs> total time, 47 minutes of which Tim was standing Stay. to my right <laughs> Never puts a single bet down. Never puts a single bet down. And never leaves and never says a single time. I swear, This is an incredible thing that he did. Never one time says, oh, my God, I really, whew, I, I picked the wrong time. To right. exit. You know, just anything like that to indicate, boy, this is going well for you, Rush, but I'm a little pissed that it's not also happening for me. And, of course, he is, right? It's eating him up, but he he – it was the most selfless display <laughs> of maintaining superstition I have ever seen. And, you know, I, I think I won, I was down 2000, you know, and I, I think I won like four, four or $5,000 uh, and of, of which, you know, 4,500 came on my roll, which I, I haven't won that many, that much money more than two or three times in my life playing craps. So that was an incredible uh, moment. And, and and one where I just have the highest respect for Nap for doing that. That was incredible. <laughs> That's a true. That's a true gambling companion right there. Um, and last one, because uh, I don't know if I know this rush, so this might just be for my for my uh, edification. What are you most proud of as a performer or improviser? A moment or event, if one sticks out. Hmm. So I would. Uh... Maybe my favorite—I'll uh, give you a few. My favorite performance moment I can think of in Chicago was the night I retired from, you know, kind of chasing the dream of doing improv uh-huh. and whatever it was exactly I was doing, and decided I was—and I was leaving for law school. And I, I had originally um, come up with the idea for a group called Atlantis. And, and I got uh, Andy and, and Dave Hill and Alex Findrich to uh, uh, to agree to do it. And the four of us then went and recruited a, a, a great lineup. Um, and you were in that. And we did. Um, and we were, I remember we were we were very afraid to ask you to join, but you were willing to do it. And <laughs> then we, we did Atlantis and then we did the subject, which the subject was probably the best improv show. Well, I've if ever. you were afraid to ask me, you must have been flat shit in your pants to ask Noah. Well, Noah directed it. And um, performed in it, right? He did not perform in the first one. Oh, okay. He in, in the next two. No, you were the one we were most afraid of. It was you and Case were the ones that I was most afraid might say no. <laughs> um, but, you know, like you were, you were already kind of at the pinnacle. And, uh, it, it was good that I had, you know, those people of Earth guys there. But in, in any case, like we did, and then the, it was the Orange, which was a great show. I enjoyed the Orange. It wasn't as good. I don't think it's the subject, but that's you know, kind of splitting hairs. The Orange was a ton of fun, and I enjoyed it. But but we did we did the Orange, and it was my last show. And then we did Brian Shortall and I did a thing that we used to do called Bad Law and Order, where um, Brian was this just horrific. Uh, super cocky, uh, like investigator. It was law and order. And then I was just an out of control, terrible lawyer. 
Uh, I, I wrote this scene when I was going through Second City that was a like a horrible closing <laughs> argument that was it was probably the best comedic piece I ever wrote. Like it was it was definitely good, and and so we did that, and I had a very friendly audience there, and that that was just a super fun night because I remember thinking like. I, I very distinctly remember thinking, you know what, like, who who knows whether you could argue you made a good choice or bad choice to come out to Chicago, to leave Chicago, but whatever else happened, like, what you did here was worth it, right? Like, this was, it was, it was a validating night that, like, the stuff I had done was, um, you know, the people that enjoyed it and that I had enjoyed it. Yeah. And I was surrounded by a bunch of great friends. So, so that was a, a great moment. Similarly, um, I had a fun, I had a fun moment that was, it was moving to me in law school. I directed this show called the libel show. That was like, a, uh, you know, 8,000 person, 8,000 cast, uh, ridiculous, <laughs> like, you know, shit burger of a show. Um, but it took a lot of time and effort to do it. And I had this monologue <clears throat> that I did where I was like this uh, uh, little league baseball coach that, that you learn over the course of the monologue has been sentenced to like thousands of hours of community service. <laughs> uh, and, and part of that is he has to coach this little league and go to like law schools and give, give speeches and stuff. And, I know how hard uh, it could be to speak as a little league coach because uh, I, I tried that a few weeks ago and just entirely lost my way. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. And uh, and so the last night, you know, and and I had I had worked very hard on the show, and 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 thought like the show was pretty decent, especially for what it was. And what really mattered to me—it's kind of funny. We talked about last week. You know, would you rather be liked or respected? And when you and it did matter to me, like as I was leading that show, like I wanted people, and I, I'm sure like a lot of people didn't like me, but. Um, you know, I, I was a cast of uh, honestly like 120, so there's no way everybody liked me. I'm sure some people hated it, but it was very important to me that like overall, I I was I made I, I people had a good time, right? It's just, it's a fucking you know joke around law school show, right? And so I wanted people to enjoy it. And when I went up to give that monologue uh, before before I started, I got like a it felt like at least like two two minute like standing O. <laughs> from the from the cast is like a thank you i thought at least for uh and, and me and my friend james tice had directed the show and uh, my friend andrea parisi had produced it and we had done the three of us had done the bulk of the work and so that was a really nice moment but but my the thing that i think if i had to say overall what was the best show that i was in you know that was the most meaningful it would it would be thirty thirty three. i mean we did it for okay. 10 years and did tons and tons and tons of shows and i, I really enjoyed that Great. Great. That's it. All right. Uh, okay. So, Fortune, the belt holes. All right, uh, TJ. I would like you focusing on Fortune. Um, okay. Here's the, situa- here's the situation. I would like you to give me two minor moments of luck in your life that have had an outsized impact on where your life went, how it worked out. Um, it has to be things where chance played a role and where it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have overtly or obviously been like some key thing, right? Like, so, you know, this isn't a true story for you, but hypothetically, if it was like, Oh, well, the day that my dad moved us across the country for him to pursue, uh, you know, a career in musical theater ended up a big thing. You know, it's, it's, I want it to be instead some something that at the time you were kind of like, huh? Uh, but it just some one or two, hopefully two little things that had a big direction on your life that maybe you don't even think that often about. But but yeah, one thing, uh, and this has come up in some way, shape, or form in the shows before. But um, I moved to Chicago because we came here in large part because we came here as a family when I was like 12 years old, 10 years old, 11 years old. But we only came here because my dad, who was in the Air Force learning how to be a plumber, was became best 
his best friend in the service was this guy named Hal Wurchis, who was from Rockford, Illinois. So if Hal was from Montgomery, Alabama, we would have been down in Alabama. If he was from, you know, uh, Harrisburg, PA, we would that's where we would have been. But he was from Rockford. And so that drew me that, you know, made us come here for an overnight. But uh, it was but if not for Hal being from Rockford, I don't know if I ever would have ended up in Chicago because um, it, it was in large 80 percent in part to that to that visit as a as a family when I was a kid. Did you ever have any interest in Chicago before that or any other reason why nah. you ever might have even gone? No. Nah. Chicago would have been just the name of another city. The only city I had any interest in was Boston because we grew up in Massachusetts. Not many people left my hometown. And so Boston was like the big the big city. We may have taken a family trip to New York by then. Maybe, maybe not. Um but if it was, New York didn't do anything for me. It seemed too crowded and like they, they, it all just felt. I remember thinking like it just felt like walking down a series of hallways. The buildings were so tall and stuff that it felt right. too, too imposing and too on top of on top of me. But this this it felt different. Walking around downtown here felt open and there's a river going right through it. And it just felt really like cool and 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 nice and we just had a wonderful a wonderful time i remember like just the whole family really digging it people seeming kind and stuff like that oh also uh a 10 percent of the reason i moved here is because the bruins were playing the blackhawks uh before internet and there was a bar in our hometown who called at random they looked for a Chicago bar to call to see if someone could tell them the score because they couldn't find the game on the TV. They called Kelly's Pub right down off of Webster. And that year, they 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 talked to him for like an hour on the phone. Like the guy, like I think, talked him through the third period. They ended up that year, also by luck, the Pats played the Bears in the Super Bowl. They made a bet and decided to drive the the losing, you know, like what they owed. They owed him lobster. They drove it out to Chicago. It landed at Kelly's Pub. There was pictures of a guy from my hometown in that in that bar. So it was a large system. And then this is where my friend from college ended up too. Lisa moved to Chicago. So it was all just lucky circumstance that brought me here. And that has been the defining, you know decision of my life probably when when you when you left that chicago trip was any part of you like i might move here one day or was it all just like oh that was a fun thing i think it was like that was really that was really really cool i think it put me in mind of like i do think i want to live in a big city it probably reverted to boston in my head but when those other things happened then it seemed and then lisa ended up here then that seemed to all all jive you know to 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 point it here this was a small bit of luck but it would have changed my life in a horrible way i was i had a job refinishing bowling alleys and we ended up with these huge there were these huge machines that would sand the the sand the fine sand the bowling alley lanes but we'd end up with um bags of sawdust enormous bags of sawdust probably the size of four garbage bags five garbage bags all put together and we would have to go out and unload them so we put them in the back of the truck these guys we didn't normally work with were back in the truck up to the dumpsters these big ass heavy industrial dumpsters with a like that metal bar on on the back i was in the back getting ready to dump them off my legs were hanging over the side i said stop stop here the guy cut the truck it was it was stopped and I just had this bad feeling. I pulled my legs up and for whatever reason, he he, he either slid onto the gas or something something um, went weird. And the back of the truck slammed really, really hard into the into the dumpster. Both of my from like my knee, you know, my, my knees or my shins would have been would have been absolutely, absolutely shattered, absolutely oh. shattered. So that was a little bit of of good luck that um I don't. I don't know what it came from. A little voice inside my head said, "Just pull, pull your legs up," and uh, it would have been that would have been a whole different kind of life. Wow. So those are my two. Those are my two little little luck things that would have would have led to a much different lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Wow. For sure. That is that is scary. I, I can't think of if I ever had 
I mean, I, the, I think the closest I ever came really to dying was uh, I was in a cab or an Uber. I think it was a cab, and he was just not paying attention. And it was like on uh, like Elston and Armitage area around there, and he was just taking a left. And I was like, no! Uh, and he stopped. I mean, he slammed the brakes. He just wasn't paying attention. Like, and, and even just starting the turn, we almost got sideswiped. And I would have been killed or, or well, very likely killed because I was in the right side of the car. And he was just pulling dead into a guy going 60 up uh, the, the street who had the who had the green light. But hang on a second. In the Hot Plops episode, I asked you to tease the story of you coming closest to death, and there was something when yeah. you were a kid that was that was also near. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. The one that's more sensational is when I was eighteen. We we flipped off the the highway in a bus and rolled down like in the fugitive uh, down over the overpass. Um, I was asleep at the time, and I actually think that that has since influenced my inability to sleep on planes. Uh huh. Sure. Um. But uh, I, yeah, when that happened, I uh, I think I probably uh, didn't break, but 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 nearly broke my nose, or maybe it was broken, but I was just flooded with blood from uh. the, the hit on it. And then um, a couple of people like broke their collarbones, and other people. One guy like lost part of his ear, but it, it wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been. And then the hospital folks got uh, the ambulance got over there and took us out, but. And then I remember, you know, that was, that was a rough one. That sounds awful. For sure. But I think I was, I I honestly think I was more peril in that split second where that guy was like going to take that left. Yeah. And, uh, wow. All right, Rush, I've got one for you. And this, this is going to turn into maybe a little experiment that is going to go nowhere. But I, I just, as I thought it through, I was like, maybe this will be cool. As I think about it now, it's probably not, but here's the situation, Rush. People often use the phrase, they paid a fortune for whatever. Cool? So I'm going to name some things, and I'd like you to tell me what realistic price you would consider that they paid that would also satisfy, like, oh, it cost a fortune. Cool? Um, So a candy bar. If someone said, oh, that candy bar cost them a fortune, how much did it cost them? Six dollars would be totally absurd. Okay. Someone spent a fortune on a car. How How much was that? Uh, anything seventy thousand dollars or seventy thousand. Uh, they spent a fortune on their house. Mm, um, two million dollars. Okay. Um, they spent a fortune on that meal. Just, yeah. just one person. One on, on a house like you. Darn you, guys! Never owned a house. Never. I hear you. Uh, <laughs> I, but I mean, I it's obviously gonna be very different for a lot of different folks. But, oh yeah. No, it's just this uh, is just you. So they spent a yeah. fortune on that meal, uh, just a one person meal. I, I would say, t- for me, there's like a hard line there. At two at two hundred dollars is where it goes. Okay. Too absurd. Like, they they spent a fortune on that bottle of wine. Uh, well, interesting. I I, I want to once again say two hundred dollars. Okay, they spent a fortune on that suit. Uh, four figures. Okay, a thousand dollars, or do you want me to go higher? A thousand bucks. Okay, they spent a fortune on that trip. If if a suit cost me a fortune, that's a thousand. Okay. Uh, trip cost us a fortune to take. Uh, $10,000. Okay. And lastly, they spent a fortune on those shoes. 250. Okay. So, I'm going to go back through these and I want you to give me what you think is the average cost for each of these things. Cool. Okay. Average yep. cost of a candy bar. A dollar 39. Okay. Um average cost of a car. $17,000. Okay. Average cost of a house? $160,000. Okay. Average cost of a meal? For, what is this, family of four? Uh, no, I'm sorry. One person. One. Again, again, one person. Um, $23. Okay. Average cost of a bottle of wine? 
uh, $12.95. Okay. Um, average cost of a suit? $179. Okay. And average cost of a trip? $1,200. All right. And lastly, the average cost of a pair of shoes? $30. Okay. Great. So here's here's what I was wondering as an experiment. If I asked you if there would be a similar multiple of what you would consider a fortune to be from the from the average from the yeah. average price. How so did I do? How did I do? On um, I'll, this is going to be rough math, but um, so the fir- the fortune for a candy bar was six bucks. Average was buck thirty nine. That gives you about a five times, I think, multiple five times there. Multiple. Okay. Um, Seventy for a car to seventeen. It's a little. It's around four ish, I guess. Is that about right? Twenty eight times four, around four ish, I think. Um, okay. Just to so, give it so the, far, pretty similar. Four yep. or five times multiple. Two million to a hundred and sixty thousand. What are we looking at? About nine times. Is that roughly? It'd be eight. It'd be ten at two hundred. So maybe ten. No, it's over. It's about eleven or twelve times, I think. Um. A meal two hundred to twenty three. So it's. Nine and a half times. A yep. uh, bottle of wine was two hundred from basically thirteen dollars. Ten would be twenty, so I don't know, eighteen times, nineteen times maybe. Um, a suit was a thousand um, from one seventy nine, so a little over five times. Yep. A trip was ten thousand to twelve hundred, so what is that? Eight, nine. Nine. So mo- most of them are falling in the five to ten x, and then house, which is the one I kind of struggled with, frankly, the most. Yeah. And I could, I could see, I could see definitely changing my, my house answer. Um, and shoes yeah, were like, shoes were about like nine. Five to ten. Yeah. Five to ten ish multiple. Shoes were about eight to nine times, which seems to be a pretty a pretty the biggest the biggest swing was the bottle of wine, I think, was the biggest multiple, I believe. And the smallest, I think, was the car. But yeah, it's a four to eighteen times range with just about everything being in the eight, nine from eight to twelve range was was the, the most common. That was half half of them were right in that right in that spot okay and several were seemed to be kind of in that five-ish range too yeah i had like se- several that were yeah there yeah. were four five and five and then it looked like an 11 or 12 nine and a half eight uh eight and a half so yeah just as a little experiment i didn't know if it would come out you know in a really strict range or whatever if we which one of those which one of my answers did you think was the the most like kind of incongruous with your views on what you would say probably in terms of multiples i would think a fortune on a candy bar is like 80 bucks okay (laughs) some real like real incredible high you know high high end thing uh but that was the only one that i think i would be like more than 10 times higher on the on the cost of fortune you know that's right when, which thing do you think I overpriced the most in terms of costing a fortune? Where you would have been like, no, 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 I, I think fair to say cost of fortune for a vacation. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't say you were over on anything costing, you know, costing a fortune. And who knows? It's such a, you know, it's such an abstract, like it cost a fortune. But if someone says that, then I'm, 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 I'm immediately thinking like outrageous, you know, outrageous yeah, yeah. price. Oh, so, me too. Right, yeah. Right, you hope. You know? Yeah, because yeah. even it, like if someone said like he spent a fortune on that car, like I'm I'm anywhere between fifty grand and a quarter of a million dollars on that because like I don't know what he's talking about. What a Testarossa, right. you know, whatever, 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 you know, even runs. You know, like so, yeah. But yeah, I didn't think you were under on on any on any of those. Great. All right, um, uh, TJ. Here's the situation. All right, we are back this is belt holes my friend we're back with some fad diets these are are diets that believe it or not uh medical evidence has shown up and says they they do they do work they may have some side effects and so forth (laughs) they may they may (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> but and, none of the side uh, effects are putting on weight, uh, oddly enough. You know? No, no, no. They're all, they're all good for losing weight uh, for various reasons. And as, as it always is the case, I just want you to ultimately rank these one through four, just all like right. we always do, with the one you're most likely to do to least likely. And that, we did that one where you just you can only go to the grocery store once a month, and that's your whole thing. And you're like, I love it. I, I love it. You want to change that? Yeah. No, that's how I've been living, man. And oddly enough, I said to Beth, "Hey, I think when all this is over, I still want to do it this way. We just go one time, buy like three hundred dollars of groceries, and then don't go back for three weeks or whatever. You know, yeah. we just just yeah. live on it. Uh, I like it. So, but 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 be careful in case these are predictive. I do not want. I do not want to be forced to live any of these any of these ways, Rush. Oh yeah, you're not going to. That's okay. for sure. You're just going to rank them one through four. All and right. Usually you ha- you you hate almost all of the, the diets that have ever come up, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. So here's the first one. It's uh, all my eggs is in a Lexus. So okay. It's, uh, all my exes are in Texas, but it's uh-huh. all my eggs is in a Lexus. Okay. And uh, for that, uh, you got to eat. <laughs> All you you got to eat twelve eggs a day maximum. You can have as few as you want, but you got to eat them all in a hot car. So it's you you put the, you you stop the car. You put the temperature up to about eighty degrees. You roll the windows up, and you get you eat as many eggs as you want while you're in there. That's all you got. Okay, but all day long, all you get is up to a dozen eggs. Yeah, a dozen eggs. Okay, uh, but eat them whenever you want. But you got to be in a hot car. <laughs> right, but eggs. but that's it as well. That's all. Yeah, you can drink whatever you want. Okay. Um, All right. And you can have, uh, but yeah, you're you're eating eggs in a Lexus. Okay. And it doesn't have to be a Lexus, but that's, that's <laughs> sure. <what>. Thank uh, <laughs> next up is uh, Alexander in the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad way. Okay. Um, and for that, you have to have a protein shake before every meal, and it is terrible, horrible, no good, very bad whey protein shake. Okay. It is awful, awful tasting. It is ten ounces. And once you finish it, you are permitted to eat whatever you want. Okay. But you can't eat anything unless you finish the 10-ounce shake, which is damn hard to put down. It is disgusting. Okay. Disgusting. Oh, all right. I think all right, next w- as horrible oh. as this is, I think that one's going to be hard to beat. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, next one up is called Bubble Trouble. And uh, the only change to your diet is you can drink only sparkling water. You can't have any other uh, beverages. So sparkling water only. And you have to tell a loved one one major lie per day. Uh, That's how you get into the trouble of the bubble trouble. And the theory behind the diet is the stress of of firing out these these lies that Uh you have to. And you can't tell the person, obviously, you're on bubble trouble. Um, And so the stress, they think, helps... uh, get you down there uh but but the stress doesn't mix well with drinks other than sparkling water so that's that's the sign and it's got to be a pretty a pretty meaty untruth right like you can't be like hey i watched an episode of mash today it's got to be an actual like kind of like kind of hard hard lie stress you out that that you've lied to the loved one or else you're not getting the benefits of bubble trouble okay (laughs) and uh, the last one is Excuse me while I chowder my nose. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and uh, for that one, for that one, you're allowed to eat uh, a sensible lunch. <laughs> no, I, and, uh, I love, I love when you throw that in at the last, the next like, sensible lunch. <laughs> yeah, you can have a, uh, you can have a, a light breakfast, a sensible lunch, and then you can have whatever you want for dinner. But for the entirety of the time that you're eating, you, you have to you have to start by just dipping your face into a, a thing of, uh, of New England clam chowder, and then you can't wipe your nose clean uh, until you're done eating the uh, and until you're done eating the meal. So it's like you got a clown nose of, uh, of white clam chowder. But that's uh, it. Otherwise, time. otherwise, everything else is a nice, sensible lunch. Whatever you want to for breakfast, and uh, yeah, you have a, a light breakfast, sensible lunch, <laughs> and whatever you like for dinner. Uh, but you gotta, you gotta have. Uh, you're, you're just, you're basically okay. bathed in clam chowder across your, across Great. your full nose for the entirety of the meal. I am ready, my friend. I am ready. All right, rank them. Excuse me while I chowder my nose. Easy, buddy. That's that's Easy, no bro. problem. I was raised with my nose stuffed in stuffed in clam chowder. This is that's that's no problem. That's great. I love and I love the idea of a sensible lunch. You know, it's tough to get. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. Light breakfast sensible. It's tough to get me off of that. Um, 
Number two is uh, a- Alexander in the very no good, bad, bad, horrible, terrible way. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I I know. Look at but but you know what the other choices are. <laughs> I can't. I'm never gonna take that shake. <laughs> The other one, you're just on a nothing but egg diet, which is third, by the way. <laughs> and you're in a hot car. Yeah. What is it? I don't. I don't. You're just in there. You're sweating. Buddy. You're sweating. You're eating eggs. It smells horrible because you got these eggs in the hot car. It's like the. It's like a cool hand. It's like a cool hand Luke d- diet. I know. I know. You're allowed to do whatever you want with the eggs, or you can scramble them. Oh uh, well, go. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's not going to move higher than third. Even thank you for the caveat. It's going to stay where it is. And then, yeah. I don't want a lie so bad I literally lose weight over it. The stress yeah. so bad it eats me out from the inside. Like I, I can't do. So bubble bubble trouble is going to be is going to be last. Absolutely. Absol- well, you do absolutely. bubble trouble for thirty days, and then you go back and you're like, all all those things they said are not true. I, 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 I did. Yeah, I, I don't. I'd rather eat. Uh, car. Well, look, I I'd dropped, rather I dropped, eat. I dropped six pounds and three inches on my waist, and uh, <laughs> it's it's all those things. And uh, they're gonna be. I, that's I just. There's, that's just another lie. You're lying about that yeah. too. Yeah. You never told me you hated my father, <laughs> babe. You know? The only other chance, the only other choice I had was to eat eggs, a dozen eggs in a hot car every day. Yeah. What? What do you want? Uh. Oh. So yeah, that's that's the final ranking. I, I am. I'm I'm certain on this one. That one that one we can cement. Okay. Uh, are you gonna do bubble trouble or cream to fit in your jeans? <laughs> oh, you gotta do that. Cream to fit in. Cream to fit in my jeans. I'll eat the I'll eat the I'll eat the ice cream. Was it pint of ice cream every morning or? You have to. You can only drink half an hour. <laughs> That's, I'll still take it. <laughs> your, your dinner is nothing but a pint of ice cream. You God. get a sensible lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sensible lunch. It's a selling point. You know, it's like, hey, it's come with it. It's a, it's a moon roof. Oh, I'll take it. Yeah, the yeah. sensible lunch. It really it yeah. gives me. You get like a like a turkey sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta chase it down with some half and half. Oh, I might tell a lie. I might tell a lie before <laughs> I can't do that. it. Get in that hot car. No. Scarfing down those eggs because you know you're going to eat the 12 eggs because you're starving. Oh, yeah. Is this all you get? Yeah, man. I'm definitely going to eat uh, 10 anyway, probably, but probably 12. Yeah. Right, which is like, it's going to be like three oh. trips to the car. To a hot with car. Four I'll eat fast. I won't be in the hot car long. I'll eat pretty fast. I know. <laughs> uh, all right, Rush. Here's, here's the situation. For Whom the Bell Tolls is originally from a poem by John Donne in which he says, each man's death diminishes me. So this put me in mind of the in-memoriam parts of like the yearly wrap-ups or the award shows where they, you know, they show you pictures of like who died that year, either at the ESPYs or or uh, the Emmys or the SAG Awards or whatever. And usually I find like, I don't really care. You know, like most of them, I just like, okay, 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 okay. But then every once in a while I'll be like, Wait a minute, what? Ruth Buzzy died? Oh no. So here's here's the here's the question for you, Rush. What are celebrity deaths that you have been most affected by? And are there any that surprised you by how much it it hit you that you didn't think yeah. it would get you that get you that much? Uh, it's funny. Our our for, uh or I guess I don't know how well you know Joe, but my my good friend Joe Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know him just who, a bit, just a little bit. Who who likes to sometimes have like a little bit of a misanthropic uh, um, bent to okay. some of his uh, <laughs> public statements. Uh, he did a thing that I kind of liked. It, it at least made me laugh. Where like there was a run of celebrities that died, you know, six or seven years ago, or at some time where like the world was a better place and like people could 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 get frustrated about celebrity deaths instead of like what we're dealing with right now. And, uh, and Joe, Joe was like, all right, guys, that's it. You all get five right now, write down the names of the five people that you are really going to care about if they die. And you can't, you can't go crazy about anybody else. Okay. He was just like, <laughs> it's like, he's like, it's absurd. Cause it, the next person comes out and like the same guy who just lost their mind about, you know, uh, whoever is, is back, you know, once again, to be like, Oh, what an influence on me. He's like, Nope, you got to write your five out ahead of time. Um, <laughs> So, uh, what ones really affected me? Certainly, Payne Stewart was the toughest that I can remember. That was that was uh, heartbreaking. 
say the least. He yeah. was my pre-Federer. Um, uh, I loved, I had a kind of an odd slate. I, I, I loved uh, Greg Maddox. I loved Barry Bonds, which was a tough one. He basically died. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I, I was like, you know, contrarian because I was like, well, Bonds is awesome. And, you know, he's a dick, but like, I get it. You know, like people are always like hard on him and everything else. And I kind of liked him. And then it's like, well, he's the worst cheater ever. So that, that one hurt, uh, although he didn't die. Um, and <laughs> he's I, I dead to you. Dave. He's dead to you. He's, he's dead I to a Dave. lot of America. <laughs> yeah, I love Dave Stewart, the pitcher for the Oakland A's. Oh, yeah. And then maybe uh, Toronto as well, perhaps? Did yeah. He, yeah. He, so, so back when I was a kid, it was like Dave Stewart, Payne Stewart. I don't maybe I really like yeah, Payne just Stewart love. for some reason. <laughs> but Payne Stewart, that was really tough. Um, uh, so a couple that I remember being like, caring more about than I thought it would Leslie Nielsen when Leslie Nielsen oh, wow. died I was really sad um and which seems silly because he old lived a great mm-hmm. life and everything but I was just like man and I, it's not like he's constantly in your face it's not like you see him on a really but, regular basis or anything yeah right it wasn't like a tragic death right, right? like uh but but and similarly frankly Fred Willard just a little while yeah, ago yeah I hear you you know and like Fred Willard dies and then I'm like I spend the night you know watching Best in show, and then the next night watching Waiting for Guffman, and I'm mm-hmm. like, man, this guy, just as far as I can tell, at least did nothing but make the world better, right? And more fun, and it just sucks. And I like Leslie Nielsen had that weird career where he he was like kind of a soap opera type actor, and then right, they were like, man, this guy's the greatest you know straight man that's ever been, and um, you know, just like I don't know, it just makes me happy watching all that stuff that he did. Phil Hartman and John Candy were like that for me too. And those had the added oh. elements of like tragedy and, you know, and, or, you know, premature where they're like, oh, no one has a bad word to say about these people. They seem yeah. to have just brought a bunch of joy and been, you know, like good friends and stuff like that as well. I can't believe I didn't remember Phil Hartman. That was devastating for me. Oh, really? I, I was a, so I, I think, I think Phil Hartman's my favorite SNL uh, cast member of all time. It's it's between him and uh, like Eddie Murphy, I guess, and, and Will Ferrell. Like maybe there's some others I'm forgetting, but that that that, um, that that was like the at least at least uh, back when I was really watching SNL, like which was probably up through the early 2000s. Uh, I loved Phil Hartman, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, who else? And I remember like being like, what? You know, yeah. when, when Phil, because I, I, you know, he was great on news radio. And yeah. I just thought, I thought this guy is going to be around. Do, you know, I, Phil Hartman still had like two more huge turns. It's yeah. Like regulars in some show or something. He had, he had two more characters that we were going to get to see and, and, and we were robbed of. And when people are like young and clearly don't, or, you know, or don't seem to have like really dangerous lifestyles to begin with, it wasn't like a guy who like lived out on the edge that you're like, wait a minute, I I must be hearing this wrong, or you must have, like, the first name or the last name incorrect on that, like, he got, he got killed, that doesn't sound right, you know, like. Yeah, that was shocking. Yeah. I mean, with John Candy, you know, obviously, he was at risk. Right. With his his weight, but, uh, you know, again, I mean, who doesn't like John Candy? Yeah. And, and of course, that was terribly sad. Um, Gosh, I mean, it's probably, like, mostly, yeah, it would be, like, comedic uh, philip seymour hoffman that was one uh-huh. that um i was really pissed off about because i was like man you know just again like the, the guy's still in his prime i mean just killing it with great great performance after great performance um also a very surprising method of like wait a minute philip seymour hoffman was a heroin addict right. or user this whole time like that 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 that's that's uh that was yeah that was a very surprising manner of going yeah, I'm. I, I can't remember other ones that I thought were like idiosyncratic. Uh, to me, where where I'd be like, oh yeah, that uh, just higher than the average. Per- I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I had I had a um, like a man crush on because I uh, I went and saw a play that he was in um, called True West. Sure where it was him and, and John C. Riley, And I, right. I had really, 
uh, wanted to be in this play True West, and I got to the final two people, and I didn't get it in uh, in in college, and I was unknown, like I had never been in a, I hadn't done a play yet in college, and that was the first one I went and auditioned for, and I was like an okay actor, like in high school, but but not great, you know, and it was a decent part for me, and uh, that one like stung that I didn't get it. And I always, like, that was kind of like a Moby Dick a little bit, that show. So I went up and I watched, um, true, true West with, uh, and it was, the, he and John C. Riley would alternate. They right. Would, they would play flip, right. two different roles. And I've probably seen that play. Oh, six times, maybe live at different places. I mean, I've seen that play maybe as more times I've ever seen any play. And, uh, and, and, and I, and I saw him do both. And I, at least I thought that he was both the best Lee and the best Austin. That huh, I'd ever gotcha. Seen. <laughs> and, and, uh, I didn't think like, I didn't think it didn't make any sense to me that they would have it where John C. Riley would be Lee and, uh, and Philip Seymour Hoffman would be Austin, you know, and just, and I saw it the other way first and then to watch him be able to do that and play this intimidating brother instead of, and of course, John C. Riley, um, has that ability to play like, even though he's a big man, you know, that he, he can play that like, kind timid. Of, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, anyway, sorry. I'm just rambling. No problem. Yeah. I don't know. How about you? Uh, I remember the, the very first one that got me and I forget every year, you know, like it doesn't get me down too much, but there's always someone in the in memoriam. Either I forgot they died or didn't know. Um, and the first one though that I remember dropped me into a into a into a little sad pit was the guy who played coach, um, Nicholas Colasanto. Mm. That was the first like sitcom that I watched that I felt like it was mine. You know, I had been a fan. I watched like MASH reruns and and that kind of stuff. And so I was a fan of MASH, but that wasn't like my show. But Cheers, it was like it took place in Boston. The the guy was an ex Red Sox and you know and and I and I loved I loved that show and then when I found out that you know you could kind of see he was get he was sick near the end of his time there he was starting to get like drawn and gaunt and then when I heard that he died I remember being really sad uh, really sad about about that and I'm not sure how old I would have been maybe fourteen fifteen I'm guessing it was the mid eighties so but that one was the first one where it was like this guy for whatever reason, meant more to me than just some dude on the TV. Felt like we were, I don't know, friends or something. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> okay, uh, TJ, here's the situation. Hit me. Um, a legitimate fortune teller actually okay. has the ability, uh, is able to give you the following information. This will be a quick one. All I want to know is, do you want to know the answer or do you not? Okay. Okay. Great. True fortune teller, they can do this. Um do you want to know whether you, TJ Jagodowski, ever have any children? Uh, no. Okay. Do you want to know the day that you die? No. Do you want to know the day Beth dies? God, no. Do you want to know whether you die before or after Beth without knowing the specific dates? Uh, hmm, that one has me thinking, uh, I'll still go no. Uh, do you want to know the total number of deaths that will happen from COVID? Sure, yes. Do you want to know the day that the world ends? Yeah. Yep. Do you want to know your address on January 1st, 2025? Uh, I do, yes. January 1st, 2030. Yeah. Well, I hope it's the same one. Yes. January 1st, 2040. Still yes. Okay. Uh, January 1st, 2060. No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't want to Do see, want to I don't want to see cemetery or urn as the, uh, as the last part of the last word of that. Yeah. Right. Well, you really hate it if you learned that. <laughs> yeah, 1, I hear it. That would really suck. Uh, do you want to know the largest one day winnings you'll ever have at a casino? No, baby. I don't, I don't want to, cause they, um, if I already had it, I don't want to know that. And, and also, yeah. And if even, I hadn't, even if it was some, no, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, even if it's some great number, 
you still want it to be higher, right? Because you're yeah. out that time and you're like, whoa, <laughs> no, no. But but here would be a fun thing is let's say the number is like fourteen thousand three hundred dollars. Yeah, and, and I have a night where it's, I've got up twenty eight thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, you're up twenty eight thousand. You're like, what am I? I'm gonna blow it. How does this happen? How? But if you have a night where you're up four, it, 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 let's say it's fourteen thousand three hundred, and you're up fourteen thousand like four hundred. You just go over and start. You throw. You throw two thousand dollars on like right? one yeah. number roulette. Well, because either you. But we don't know if it's that night, right? But that's the point. Is yeah. Like I, I would want to make sure I, I, I won fourteen thousand two ninety nine or less, so that I'm gonna have another night later where I get the fourteen three. But maybe you're maybe you're messing with the face at that point. Um, and do you want to know the name of the next ten World Series winners? Mm, yeah, probably for betting purposes. Sure, why not? Sure. Yeah, yeah you're not gonna. You're not, nah, you're not, not gonna. gonna right? Turn that one <laughs> All right, that's it for that one. All right, Rush. This one is based on fortune. So the fortune cookie is originally Japanese, but we most commonly associate it with with Chinese food. So that put me into the um to looking up words and phrases that, when translated from like English into Chinese, back into English have have funny translations. So for example, a cactus when translated into Chinese but then back into English translates as immortal man's palm. Ooh, yeah, okay. or a van, a van is a bread car in Chinese translated back if you gain weight it means you're you've you've gotten you oh, it's translated as getting lucky is to gain Ooh. weight. Um, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, and if you stand someone up, that's translated back as you released a pigeon. So, <laughs> so here's the situation, Rush. I'm going to give you some some words that have been translated back into English from the Chinese, and I want you to tell me what the original English word was. Okay, and is this real or? or These not? are not. These are just ones okay. that I. These are just ones that I made up. So I'll be giving you bread car, and it'll be your job to give me van back. But yeah, these are oh, entirely okay. entirely invented. Um, okay. So the translation back into English is what was the original from the animal that hates itself? Uh, I'm going to say um, uh, peacock. Okay, correct. Um, what is outside carpeting? Uh, moss. Okay. Tragic child of the clouds. Uh, <laughs> tragic. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, the Goodyear blimp. Okay, cold fire. Ice cream. Great. God noodle. Uh, lightning. Okay. <laughs> the phrase "grease the wrong pig" refers to what? <laughs> Grease the wrong pig is um uh, oh god I can't do it justice. Uh, <laughs> grease the wrong pig is gonna be um uh lost a wager. Okay, I that that's what I thought too in my head. Like you bet you bet on the wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, you grease the wrong pig. How about true touch? A uh, hug. Okay, the hair the rat likes. Um, uh, rat tail. Okay. Fast, bad food. Long John Silver. (laughs) And last one, dumb camera. Uh, selfie stick. Okay, perfect. There you go. Nice job. Nice job. All right. I like the construct of this one. I I could see this one maybe, maybe making a return someday. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i like it i like i give you some as well i think you would be great at those all right so tj we'll, we'll let's go back to the beginning here okay and uh so you're you're you work at a fortune cookie uh writing factory uh you, you've written fortune cookies for years and you've decided ah, i've had enough here i'm i'm out and as a little parting gift you're going to drop in a few fortunes that you want to be genuinely unnerving yeah. to whoever opens them up 
so what are what are some uh, fortunes you drop in there to uh, cause that issue? So I told you I've had thoughts on this for a long time. Like they're they're so I think like for everyone they're so disturbingly vague and general um, that that I've I've I just don't I don't read them. I don't even bother reading them anymore. And so I always thought they should be specific. They should be specific and and probably threatening as well. So the one that I've right. always used in my head as my example when I explain this to someone is your uncle is not operating in your best interest. <laughs> okay. So that that would be one. Um, right. You're using the wrong bank. That's that's one. That's one. Nice. Um, you're not as good at oral as you think. Um. <laughs> one one I've always wanted to just to say like go have a real dessert um, for whatever reason like that that anyone would suffice that cookie as an actual as an actual dessert um, um, uh, uh, go get in, uh, get an easy to care for pet you'll be less of a jerk um, I would oh, put nice. that one and put that one in there um, oh and then the one that people would feel actual actual unnerved by was like just something that says your actual death date is you know june 14th 2027 um yeah check uh check your true parentage that one that one might be that one might be pleasantly unnerving for someone oh um you will be in a porch collapse soon <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh hey, don't you got you, you're all oh, for this don't man. travel don't travel by train that would be that would be unnerving um any oh what you've always thought is green is not green mm, i have that thought a lot yeah yeah so it's just yeah, those I are just the off the great. top of my <laughs> off the top of my do, head yeah i mean you that you had like a couple minutes and you came up with like 20 <laughs> unnerving ones. also like you, you i like how you're you know, you're, you're specific, but you're not doing the thing where where it's going to work on like one out of every 400 people where you're like John Jacobs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it was a mistake to come in this restaurant. And on your way out, you're taking two bullets in the back. <laughs> right. you know? And then like, so nobody cares except the guy when John Jacobs finally gets there. He's like, oh, my. What the fuck <laughs> right. um, or, or if you just did like he knows. Yes. Right. <laughs> uh but yeah, oh my God, your uncle is not operating in your best interest. Yeah, that's good. That'll hit. You know, that'll hit. What seven out of ten? How many people do you think? What percentage of people do you think have an uncle? How uh, a, a, a living uncle? Sixty-one uh, percent. Okay, great. That's that's a good. Hit. I'll take that as a hit rate. If it hits sixty, if it unnerves sixty-one percent of fortune cookie openers, then I'm I'm good with that. No, I'm wrong. I'm wrong on that. Forty yeah, something. Eighty, eighty, eighty. Okay. Okay. Well, the the previous generation had more had more children, right? So that that yeah. would be that would be. But if they only had one children, it's a fifty fifty that it's a woman. If they only had one sibling, well, so. I was just thinking about like my own parents, and they had you know uncles and aunts up into their sixties. So I was I was shifting my yeah. percentage of life that uh, you're likely to have a living uncle or aunt. Okay. All right. Yeah, I can li- I can live with that here, right? Um, uh, hey, here's 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 our fortune. Thanks to Nate for producing. Thanks to Julie for doing our music and Emily for the artwork. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, it's here's the situation podcast at gmail.com. We would love to uh, love to read any situations that you have and ideally use them in a future episode. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You want to send us out, Rush? Yeah, I just I would love to hear from folks, especially I'm going to be stuck in a car eating like four eggs three times a day. I don't need any distraction in that hot car while I'm doing it. So thanks, everybody. Appreciate uh, all the listeners. <laughs>